Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life. That's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully, so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com forward slash fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today, we're talking energy and industrials. It's Thursday, 28th of September, and we're going to be discussing some recent headlines in the energy and industrials industry. Joining me in the studio is Motley Fool Canada Premium Analyst, Taylor Muckman. Taylor, thank you for joining me after your very busy weekend. Last Absolutely. Weekend. <laughs> yeah, it was. A little bit. Uh, little sister got married. Yeah, that's, uh, that's <laughs> a big deal. Yeah. It was enjoyable. Everything went smoothly. Yes, it did. All my hard work, speaking on camera, paid off <laughs> as, as my successfully officiated my first wedding. Well, that's what Industry Focus has been training right. you for this whole time. Prep, prep work. So you're now available to uh, host weddings across yes. the country. Yes. Tweet at uh, TMF Energy or <laughs> Industry Focus if you need if you need uh, an efficient an efficient that uh, yeah. that doesn't think okay he thinks he did an okay <laughs> job. Uh, so at the end of last week, the International Trade Commission ruled that the American solar industry is getting hurt by competition from overseas. The ITC voted 4-0 uh, or 4-0 or because it's not a soccer school yeah. <laughs> uh, in favor of authorizing trade barriers against solar inputs. Mm-hmm. This comes after a petition was filed by Georgia-based Suniva and Oregon-based Solar World Americas invoking the 201 safeguard law. Companies can seek this relief if they prove serious injury from a sudden surge of imports. Mm-hmm. And the situation certainly looks bleak for domestic manufacturers right now, despite U.S. demand for solar rising 350% in the last five years. Imports have grown five times in the same period, which argue the solar companies has monopolized all that growth. Taylor, is this true? Well, you know, you do, you definitely do see some cheaper panels coming from outside of the United States. There's no doubt about that. but. Um, one thing that the major U.S. solar companies have been arguing against this ruling for is because manufacturing solar panels isn't the only part of the solar industry. Mm-hmm. You have um, not the, you have the panel manufacturers, the cell manufacturers, then you also have the installers, maintenance workers. You have uh, hundreds of thousands of U.S. citizens are employed by the the solar industry outside of just manufacturing. So if if this does increase the cost of installing solar on a residential level or utility level or commercial level, you could see those other jobs, those tangential jobs, get cut back. And that is what companies like SunPower and First Solar and Solar City have been trying to say. And these companies are much larger and seemingly much more forward-thinking than these two companies uh, that you just mentioned, um, both of which, surprisingly enough, they say they're based in the United States, but they are foreign-owned. Oh, interesting. So they themselves are foreign companies in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Um, already, you see Solar World saying, "Oh, we're going to hire 200 more people uh, by May of 2018." 200 more people is a drop in the bucket for companies like SunPower, Solar City, and First Solar. Yeah, absolutely, and and undoubtedly, U.S. Uh, solar manufacturers have been. Uh, there's uh, 30 have closed uh, in the past five years. Mm-hmm. The the two left standing that we're talking about, Suniva, they filed for bankruptcy. Solar World America's shrank its workforce from 1,300 to 300. But as you correctly said, the law of economics dictates that if uh, prices go up because of um, the stop on mm-hmm. on cheap imports of solar uh, panels, it's going to decrease demand um, and kind of uh, stop solar in its tracks, which is what Congress uh, wrote to the ITC last 
in last August, they've argued against these solar safeguards. So it's not a sure thing that this is going to go through. Right. It still requires yeah. the White House to approve it. And but there is that worry that Trump's "Make America Great Again," "Make America First" um, campaign platform could vote for this, whereas previous administrations probably would have shot it down and shot down similar um, anti-trade regulations. Um, but you look at the Solar Energy Industries Association, one of the big trade groups um, that, that does a lot of research in this field, says that you would, you could lose 88,000 U.S. jobs wow. if the White House does pass this. And that's about a third of the current employment in the sector. So um, that's 88,000 versus 200 net-net, mm-hmm. you're, you're losing a significant amount of jobs, jobs that are improving the country. Yeah, it's, it's obviously hard when you, because the people that it's affecting, it's affecting very acutely, I'm sure, mm-hmm. but in, in this situation, it doesn't seem to balance up. Right. I mean, the last time um, this trade law was used was in 2002 by George W. Bush to protect steelmakers. Um, the U.S. washing machine makers have now filed a similar petition, which is going to be reviewed by the ITC next month. And as you so rightly said, the President's America First pledge means that there's a lot of company, a lot of industries um, kind of hoping that he is going to become more protectionist. Mm-hmm. I think aluminum and uh, the steel uh, manufacturers too. Um, so it will be interesting from you know the, a whole industry standpoint to see what where he stands on this. Yeah, I think that they're probably trying to stake their claim while they can. Yes. Unsure if um, what's going to happen in three years when the, when the new election cycle rolls around. Um, so certainly trying to take advantage of, of what President Trump has been speaking about since yep. uh, he started campaigning. Absolutely. And, and this still has a long way to go, as you said. Right. Um, the ITC commissioners submit specific policy recommendations to the White House. They'll do that by mid-November. The president then has two months to decide whether to impose trade barriers, and that's if uh, the restrictions aren't opposed. As, as we're kind of alluding to, in this situation, it doesn't seem to make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it, as I said, it will be interesting to see what they do. But where do you think? What do you think this would do for solar stocks if this does go through? Well, you look at some companies, uh, Tesla, I guess, if you mm-hmm. want access to Solar City and SunPower, might be a little bit more exposed. When the news broke that the ITC had passed this, as you said, four to nil, um, <laughs> First Solar actually jumped up six percent um, on Friday because they're largely believed to be less impacted than others, just based on the technology and the solar uh, panel style that they're that they're making. So there are some companies that could be a little bit less uh, impacted for solar being one of them, if you believe the market. But then earlier this week, it dropped about 8% in a single day. So um, certainly some uncertainty there. Certainly some uncertainty there. Um, <laughs> and funny to say that. But um, yeah, it, it, it's something that anyone in investing in this industry is going to want to keep an eye on. And it just goes to show that investing in a pool of these solar companies might be one of the best ways to go about it, um, because it is as much growth as we've talked about in this industry, it still is very nascent. It's a small percentage of overall global um, energy production and U.S. energy production. So, uh, personally, I believe a basket of solar companies would be the best way to go. And I do believe that this is an industry worth investing in. Okay, absolutely. And do do they generally trade very volatile than the individual stocks? the baskets, well, if you get you get to balance that out a little bit. But the individual stocks, while they're still a little volatile, they're not nearly as volatile as they were okay. just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it is kind of smoothing out just a little bit. Yeah. Well, solar energy actually grew for um, in demand for its 17th straight year mm-hmm. uh, last year, and so it's really experiencing tremendous growth. We uh, hope that increasing costs, if this does go through, doesn't doesn't stop that. But yep. I'm sure it's on a it's on a run right now. 
Uh, so before we talk about oil prices and uh, GE sale of its industrial solutions segment, uh, we'd like to thank uh, Rocket Mortgage. Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies and your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. With Rocket Mortgage, you can simply you can apply simply and understand fully so you can mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com forward slash fall, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Okay, so in the news this week, also uh, oil prices are enjoying somewhat of a rally after a three-month slide. Brent crude uh, was up 58 Uh, $1.45 a barrel when I checked this morning. U.S. crude futures are trading at 23% above this year's low of $42.53. U.S. crude hasn't settled above $51 a barrel since May. Um, So this rise has really occurred after the interim meeting of OPEC last Friday. Mm -hmm. Gave a lot of bulls renewed confidence that the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries will continue cutting production after their previously agreed upon deadline of March 2018. So a number of the organization's signatories to the first deal have indicated um, that they're willing to hold back production potentially through 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, adding to this was the International Energy Agency's upward revision to its demand forecast and uh, crude prices again coming up uh, as we've talked about before because of the Harvey affected areas are coming back online. Um, so what does this mean kind of for oil stocks? Is Have we seen this before? We've seen this a few times yeah. since 2014. Um, None more impactful than the decision in 2014 to flood the market. So since then, we've seen reversals of that decision. But the U.S. market hasn't responded as OPEC had expected to low oil prices. Mm -hmm. We continue to pump. uh, We we did see a little bit of a drop in production, but we're right back above above 9 million barrels a day and expected to grow a little bit in the future. And one thing that we do have that might not get a lot of publicity is a lot of unfracked, well, drilled but uncompleted wells. So these are wells that have been identified as um, worthwhile, and they've been drilled. The the they just haven't been fracked. It's the most expensive part of the of the process. So once the prices do rise above fifty, above sixty, these companies can go in there and, and just light the fuse and and frack these wells and get the oil flowing at it once it's economical. So. Um, while you might see rig counts haven't really um, continued to rise as they were in 2016 and early 2017, you do have a lot of these outstanding wells that are basically ready to start flowing. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that could catch some people off guard as prices start to rise. Yeah, and I think that people are worried if it reaches over $60 a barrel, it just incentivizes um, a lot of the shell producers to start pump- pumping more mm-hmm. crude. Um, so market participants so far have been encouraged by the by kind of a lack of shale activity, but do you think this is going to start to hot up again? Yeah, I do. A lot of these uh, unfracked wells are, are shale wells. They're down in Permian and Eagle Ford, and so these are very close to market. They're down there in Texas near the Gulf, where where we've been exporting a lot of oil from, where all of our refining capacity on a meaningful level really is um, in terms of exporting these refined these refined products. So I certainly think that. Uh, the uncertainty is still there, and uh, it'll be interesting to see at what pace these wells get fracked because they have been at record levels for for going on probably six months to to nine months. Mm-hmm. So they're they're out there, and I don't think that that they get a lot of uh, they're not talked about a lot because mm-hmm. they. 
there, there's no action there. Everybody wants the big numbers, the the production numbers, the production declines, the rig the rig counts up, um, OPEC this, OPEC that, but they're they're sitting there. They're in the shadows and. Um, Prices at $60 a barrel is about double from the low uh, of 2015. And so these oil companies, they scrambled, they got inventive uh, as they normally do here in the United States, and, and they can produce at prices that they that they once couldn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, the big the overall fear is spigots getting turned on is just going to uh, depress the market again. Um, yeah, exactly. And I think I'm interested to get your opinion too, because as you said, you know everybody's focused on OPEC, mm-hmm. but I'm wondering how much actually OPEC contributed to this rally because um, you know there's a, there's a ton of concerns right now over over whether they're actually going to be uh, able to keep to cap production. Mm-hmm. If you look at um, North Sea oils kind of coming back online, Nigeria and Libya were previously left out of the deal because kind of civil unrest in those countries mm-hmm, was yep. thought to depress production. But now um, Nigeria, the vice president's arranged a ceasefire with militants in that area that had cut off the pipelines. Uh, Libya, uh, the top official at Libya's National Oil Co. has explained that his country has no intention to cap its output. I mean, between them, they only supply 7% of the world's crude, but mm-hmm. um, this is just one example of many of where, you know, can they really impact the global production? Yeah, you mentioned North Sea. That's been in a, an area in decline uh, over the last decade or so. If that comes back, it was it was at one point one of the largest producing areas in the world. Mm-hmm. And then you see Brazil um, with a surprising move to allow foreign investment in their, in their offshore oil, which um, at one point could have been uh, one of the biggest economic boosts for this country it's ever seen. Instead, it decided to keep its oil markets privatized, um, and that was when oil was trading above $100. Mm-hmm. Now, they're starting to sell off uh, some assets down there to companies like Shell and Total when oil prices are in the $40 and $50 range. So, they missed they missed out, it seems, but uh, if, if some companies go down there and can actually efficiently produce oil out of the, subsal- the subsalt fields in Brazil, watch out, because so- these are some uh, gushers that are expected to produce upwards of 30,000 barrels of oil a day. Mm-hmm. So a lot of areas over over watch. decades. Yeah, yep. it's not the shale wells that deplete rapidly. These are these are conventional offshore wells that would produce oil for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another thing that's kind of in the sidelines is the fact that the global economy is strengthening and then that's creating demand for middle distillates and petrochemical companies and the what makes this what separates this from what you know where this has occurred before is the fact that it's being felt across the entire globe almost i mean you're seeing emerging asian economies uh, continue to uh, to uh, perform well but then it's also buoying us and europe and Europe particularly is, you know, has been on not necessarily a decline, but plateaued for a long time. So, yep. so that's definitely playing uh, playing a role. Um, just for listeners and aside, if you're interested in kind of the um, African oil market, there's a great documentary called Big Men. Uh, it was, I think, it was done in 2007, and it's about the discovery of oil off the coast of Ghana. But it, it takes a look. Um, uh, a lot of the issues affecting Nigeria, particularly, is really interesting. Have you seen that? I have not. No, it's uh, uh-huh. on Apple. Uh, iTunes, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a great watch. Um, so to move on, uh, GE has also been in the news in the past week. Uh, on Monday, it was announced that Swiss power grids maker ABB will buy General Electric's industrial solutions business for $2.6 billion. ABB described the unit as an unloved child and pledged to upgrade the company's product offerings with its own technology, 
win back market share and improve margins. The deal has been described as a bargain by some spectators, and it's rumoured that GE cut its price demand after ABB refused its initial offer. Uh, the deal was only concluded after certain stipulations made by ABB were met, that they could maintain the GE brand, um, and the companies agreed to increase buying and selling from one another. This move is further in line with CEO John Flannery's plan to divest the conglomerates of its non-core assets. Mm-hmm. Um, Taylor, was the industrial solution segment really G's unloved child? You know, um, I would probably have to be more intimately involved with the business <laughs> to know that. Um, but it, it was one of the poorer performing business units in terms of margins. Um, they sold it for slightly less than one-time sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think its margins are about half of what ABB has for a similar division. So there is some room for improvement there. And uh, ABB has, has been an acquisitive company, so mm-hmm. I think that they can come in here and make some moves. And, and while you would imagine that some layoffs would take place, they did say that they would likely um, not necess- they, they might remove some people from the workforce of this industrial solutions business, but they would try to find places elsewhere within ABB because they do value um, the quality of employees that GE tends to hire. Mm-hmm. So they want to keep them in the fold but they might just not have a fit within this particular business. Yeah, it's interesting when people view um, people like that as an asset. I think that's a good sign. Um, Just to give people a background, the industrial solution segment uh, sells a number of products like uh, circuit breakers, switch gears, transformers, Mm -hmm. power systems, equipment. But uh, essentially what they offer is electrical solutions to get electricity from the grid to wherever it's needed at uh, a point in industry. Yeah, they call it like the last mile, basically, yeah. from from the, the service station to your home or to your business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and really what ABB, I think, was trying to achieve with this is access to the North American market, um, which they do. But I'm, I will be interested to see if they are able to kind of up the uh, margins that they can get from this. As you said, it's, it's 6% margins. Mm-hmm. They're used to operating margins of about 15%. Yeah. Um, I think they're financing the deal with cash. Uh, shares were up on the news. G said shares were down. Mm-hmm. Um, should we read anything into that? No, I don't necessarily think so. Um, you know, this this was kind of uh, transparently noted when Flannery took over that he would try to create his own GE kind of sort of. Um, a lot of moving parts with this company. The the water division is being sold off now. Industrial Solutions. Some people think transportation could be sold off. Um, Others I've seen think that bits and pieces of healthcare could be sold off, um, and we all know that Flannery is uh, quite aware of what the value of that business mm-hmm. unit is because that's where he's was most recently employed was within GE Healthcare. So uh, certainly moving more in a direction of an energy uh, production, energy development, and power production uh, business unit here with their turbines and the acquisition of Baker Hughes. So. Uh, I would be shocked, though, if they sold off entirely out of healthcare because it is um, one of the more behind-the-scenes, well-performing business units of GE. And uh, as far as ABB is concerned, they'll probably suspend their share buybacks for some time mm-hmm. to, to allow some cash to finance this deal to flow through. Um, but yeah, all in all, it seems to be, um, I think, a worthwhile deal on both sides. Yeah. Um- we talked about this actually in an earlier. Uh, we talked about it in a segment of a show. I think it was on the seventh of September. Um, Flannery took over the range from Jeff Elmont last month, and he's been under pressure from activist imbre- investors, mm-hmm. uh, particularly Nelson 
Peltz's try-in fund uh, to, to up G's share price and then really accelerate cost cuts. So he's going to deliver a plan on this in November. So I'm sure that we will be back and kind of touching on uh, the parts of his plan. But this is certainly in line, as you said, with what he's promised to do, which is really focus um, the company on its core competencies. Yeah. And if he's talking about cost cuts, obviously a business that's only producing 6% uh, margins on the bottom line, not performing as well as it maybe could or should have been. And um, yeah, November, November, I think 12th, don't quote me on that date, but I believe that's right, is their analyst day. Mm -hmm. So you might get some hints at what his plan is long term in the analyst call in October for the for earnings. But um, certainly at that analyst um, meeting in November, uh, I imagine he would unveil his grand vision for mm -hmm. GE. Well, we'll be um, definitely commentating on that. So mm -hmm. thank you very much, Taylor. You got it. Um, that's it from us today. If you would like to get in touch, please feel free to email us at industryfocus.full.com or tweet us on Twitter at MFIndustryFocus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For Taylor, I'm Sarah Priestley. Thanks for listening and fool on. <laughs>